there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so incredibly psyched that you press play, and you will be too when you learn more about today's guest, who is one of those magical people you come across in life and you just kind of want to bottle them up because in this case, her heart and her spirit just radiate positivity. And if you're one of those people who hates public speaking or even asking a question in class or in a meeting because it scares you or you're afraid you're going to sound stupid then this is definitely the episode for you because my guest is also an expert in helping young and old to communicate in a way that gets people off their phones and onto the edge of their seats. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, before I introduce you to Bronwyn Benny. I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive window, my friends, into the episodes and the guests that we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super duper easy to do. You just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is Bronwyn Salium Benny, a communication coach, writer, and speaker devoted to helping people shine. Known for her playful, irreverent approach to coaching and, yes, my friends, to life in general, Bronwyn teaches serious transformation in how we communicate, how we inspire and connect with those around us. Bronwyn has prepared clients for television appearances on American Idol, Real Time with Bill Maher, Bloomberg TV, CNBC's Power Lunch, The Oprah Show, The Home Shopping Network, for God's sakes, and PBS NewsHour. She's also prepared speakers for over 120 TEDx, TED Global, and TED Talks. She's also the host of the fabulous podcast, and I mean this so sincerely, entitled 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. I Highly, highly recommended. In fact, and Bronwyn is there, as you've probably figured out, I have spent the last couple of days absolutely binging on episodes to prepare for today's <laughs> interview. And Bronwyn, I want you to know I have already left you a five-star iTunes review with a special message because it is just that good. And I, oh to be goodness. honest, I have not left any podcast that I've listened to, and I probably should, a review, but I felt so strongly because the passion and the time, the preparation that I know that Bronwyn puts into each and every episode is just, you will hear it for yourselves. So oh, Bronwyn, thank you. welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and fucking ready to go? <laughs> I mean, I could not have asked for a more wonderful intro than that. I mean, I don't even need coffee after an intro like that. So yes, I am so fucking ready to go. Let's do this. Yeah, let us do this. And I, I probably should have also made a PSA, a public service announcement that Bronwyn likes to swear, which I learned from listening to 20 <laughs> Minutes with Bronwyn. And honestly, I do too. I mean, for God's sakes, I'm a former right journalist, sometimes. right? Yeah. So if you are one of those folks, and I respect you, who is easily offended by the F-bomb and other <laughs> profanity, I think this may not be the episode for you, right? It's kind of true. You know, I just, I want to be real here. And with many of my guests, frankly, most of them, I hold back because I don't want to offend them, but I know I won't offend you. That's right. So we are setting the tone of this caffeinated chat, my friend, because I know you are a professional public speaker, and therefore I'm not going to be throwing you off your game, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. 
So I'm just excited to have fun with you. Oh my God, me too. And P.S. Have you heard of spirit animals? Of course you have, right? Of course. Absolutely. I have several. Okay. (laughs) Well, after listening to so many 20 minutes with Bronwyn, I want you to know, Bronwyn, I think you are my spirit human. What a compliment. I, I like if you could see me, I have my hands clasped over my heart because oh I'm holding that compliment. That is yes. amazing. Yes. Spirit humans unite. Yes. yes. Well, I definitely feel a kindred spirit in you. And so let's dive right in. We have a lot of ground to cover here, Bronwyn. I love it. Okay. And before we get into your journey to where you are today and your super impressive career, I just thought maybe we could give our young listeners right at the outset kind of a crash course in becoming better communicators. Absolutely. I don't know if you agree, but I feel it's kind of like a golden key. Mm, It's so true. And it unlocks all kinds of opportunities, you know, whether it's crushing a job interview or building a kick-ass network or impressing a professor or whatever. So let's break it down. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. And, you know, the phrase I love to use or the word that I love to use is shine, right? It's to me, it's a way of saying communicate well in a way that just feels more magical and more exciting and more authentic to the experience, what it feels like when you communicate well, it feels like you shine. And to me, the art of shining has two components. The first is, are you able to keep and hold and maintain the attention of the audience, which as you know, is getting ever harder by the day because we all just desperately want to check our black mirrors, right? Our phones. So that's the first component of it. Are you able to hold the audience's attention? But the second component of it is, are you able to bring your best self forward? Not your nervous self, not your awkward self, not the self-doubt version of you, but the full, confident, radiant self that lives inside of each of us. When those two things happen at the same time, magic happens. You shine, you radiate. There is nothing you cannot do in that moment. And to go back to your point, the ability to be able to turn that on at will is huge. I mean, I've seen so many competent, talented people get outmaneuvered by the people that just know how to shine. In fact, I worked with an executive a couple of years ago and he was so good at what he did and he was such a sure shot for the top post in the organization. But somebody who was a little less competent than him, but that was such a better communicator, snagged that job. And that's Mm. when the guy called me and he's like, I've got to fix this. So to me, it's the golden key. It's the perfect way to characterize it. Perfect way to characterize it. If you can figure that out, I mean, the rest is golden. So just in planning for our chat here today, decided that maybe we could break it down into three buckets. Those listeners who are still in school, those who may have graduated or maybe about to graduate who are looking for jobs, Mm -hmm. and those who are currently in the working world. I love it. I think that's fabulous. Okay. So for those young listeners who are still in school, Bronwyn, how can they shine in the classroom, shine when they meet with their professors, kind of get over their butterflies and are able to be their best selves? Absolutely. I mean, the folks that are still in school, you know, it depends on what kind of personality you are. There are the folks that are still in school that just, they know how to rock an office hour. They know how to raise their (laughs) hand. They're just like, they do brain surgery if you let them. They're so ready to go. And in which case, keep rocking and rolling. But for those that really struggle with finding their voice in a classroom or with meeting a professor that might be intimidating, there's sort of two things I'd like you to consider. One is just start to get to know the landscape that lives inside of you. Is it that you get most triggered in big classes Or is it that you get most triggered by certain topics because you don't feel like you know what you're talking about? Like in college is the perfect testing ground to just get to know yourself. Everybody has triggers. Everybody. We all have things that make us feel uncomfortable or that shut us down or that make us defensive or any of the other bad, you know, habits that we collect as communicators. First, just get to know what your triggers are and 
hold on to that because so many of the adult C-level executives I work with, they've not done that work. And they've been in their career for 20 years and they've never really isolated. Wait a minute. Where, what buttons am I having pushed right now? So in this early stage, just get to know what makes you nervous. Get to know the color and the shape and the texture and the timing and just know it. So step one, don't change anything. Just get to know it. But step two, start calling yourself out mentally for the stories you're telling yourself in your mind about where you're at. So for example, you walk into a huge classroom. The first thing you might tell yourself is, oh my God, I don't belong here. Or they know more than me. Or if I raise my hand, they're going to look at me funny, right? Those are all just narratives, mental stories. And I want you to replace those narratives and mental stories with mantra or with a phrase that can remind you of who you really are, which is you're a student, you have something to offer. And the worst that can happen is, you know, you turn red because you say something that sounds silly. But the best that can happen is your professor remembers you, you contribute to the conversation and you build what is the most important, I think, one of the most important intellectual muscles you have, which is the courage to speak up. And that muscle you will need until you, until your dying day, you will need that muscle. And it's either now you work on it when the stakes are very low, because I know it feels like high stakes when you're sitting in a classroom and you're afraid to use your voice. Honey, that is as low a stake as they come. The stakes just get higher. So get good at it now and have compassion for yourself. I mean, it is scary, you know, making your voice hurt or meeting with an intimidating professor, but it all boils down to what thought patterns do you choose moment to moment. So when you walk into the classroom, maybe your mantra is, look, they know what they know. I know what I know. Together, we'll know more. Or maybe when you meet with that professor, your mantra is, you know, he's here to help me and I'm here to ask questions. That is literally his job and my job and walk in the door, right? It's mind training. And if you can start that work in college, I mean, honest to God, what I would give to have started that work in college, I, I, I don't even know what to say about it. So what I want you to know is that this is your playground. This is where you get to know yourself and you work through those initial moments of fear. I mean, you're going to turn red. You're going to say something goofy. It's part of life. You didn't come here to play small and just lay low. You came here to be your best self. So get after it starting now. Oh my God. So that's the advice I would have I for that. I <laughs> love, 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 love that advice. And in particular, when you mentioned what triggers you. Yeah. I would say probably 13 years ago, that would have meant something different to me than what it does today. And that's because I've had 12 years of therapy. Oh, me too, sister. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And so that really sounds like therapeutic language, like getting to know yourself. What are your triggers? And another way that it's helped me to identify that within myself, it's where do you start feeling rage? Ooh, God, that's a good one. Okay. Where do you suddenly, like you go from zero to 120 and you're like, I am ready to chop someone's head off. That is a trigger. And the other language that they use in therapy is it's old. It goes back to your childhood. There's always. something, it always does. Always. So what Bronwyn is recommending there mm-hmm. is so wise. Get to know yourself now. Get to know what the triggers are. If you're still on campus, see if they have some kind of free therapy oh, that you can I start mean, going to, right? Yes. There. In fact, there is a fantastic TED Talk and I cannot remember the name of it, but maybe we can put it in show notes or a way of getting it to you. And it's a talk about how critical it is to get therapy in your 20s, because that's when you meet your future spouse. That's when you make big career decisions. And if you're making those decisions from the place of tremendous baggage that we all show up to college with, because our families of origin are not perfect, they're just human. uh, If we make decisions from that confused or rage filled or whatever that is, it has massive implications down the line. So I cannot I cannot underscore that point you're making more strongly. (laughs) Yes. So whether it's for finding your future mate or whether it's getting up the courage to shine in the classroom, this is a super important gift 
that you can give yourself right That's now. absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I think if you can start having these conversations with yourself now, even if let's say freshman year of college, you're just like, you know what? I This year, I'm just going to get to know myself. I'm not quite ready to push myself so hard. Great. No problem. But have a plan. Sophomore year, you start using your voice. You start getting out there and start building that muscle. Start getting used to feeling diminished because you some if you raise your hand... Sometimes you're going to be dead wrong and that's part of life, right? So start getting comfortable with discomfort and feeling a little bit like, oh, God, I got that wrong. I'm flawed. Honey, we all are. And the sooner you accept that you don't know all the answers, but you're going to raise your hand anyway, the better your life will be, in my opinion. (laughs) Absolutely. The other thing you said, Bronwyn, that really resonated with me is the fact that you young people are paying for your education, whether you're on a scholarship, whether you're working your ass off to get extra spending money or to pay for your tuition now, or you're going to be paying for it after you graduate, right? In school loans, all that stuff. So you want to get every single thing out of college, the experience that you can, because God damn it, it's your money. That's it. That's it. And what you're solving for in college isn't, you're not solving to be cool. You're not solving to be liked necessarily. What you're solving for is expertise, knowledge, experience, and confidence. And if that's what you're solving for, you keep your nose pointed in those directions, it'll lead to good things. You know, it, oh, I, how I wish I could go back to Bronwyn <laughs> my college and sit her down and tell her that. Guess what? I'm going to be asking you that question at the end of oh, this I interview. Love it. So here I we go. It. What about those who are going in for an interview, Bronwyn? Mm-hmm. And, and let's start maybe with the informational interviews. So these are the interviews where you're just going in to kind of get a sense of maybe what that person does in their job or what their company does. So how can they communicate with that person across the table at Starbucks or wherever they are that reflects well on themselves and that they can get the information they need? I am so happy you asked me this. I have been wanting to talk about this for years and and I've been like, when's the right opportunity? And here I am. And it is right now. I'm so excited to say this. I have had so few positive experiences because people ask me for informational interviews all the time. And I used to do them all the time, but I found them so un satisfying because I'm the one there to provide information because so rarely do people prepare well for them. So I cannot, I can't tell you how happy I am to share what I believe about preparing well for an informational interview. What I find is that most people don't prepare. They come and they expect the expert with whom they've, they're sitting at Starbucks to drive the conversation. That is not how it goes. If you have asked someone to for an informational interview, the greatest thing you can do for that expert is to be totally prepared by having read what they've written, listen to what they've done if they're a podcaster, and have five or six questions that are meaningful to ask them. If you do that, I, I don't want to say guarantee because that's too strong a word, but 99% of the time, that expert will advocate for you from there on out. But if you come unprepared and expect them to drive the conversation, it creates a dead end. That person thinks to themselves, this person wasn't prepared. They just figured I would do all the work because I'm the expert and I'm not willing to stick my neck out for them. But I remember I, I must have one year, I think I went on like 10 or 11 informational interviews with people. And one woman Stephanie Johnson, if you're listening, this one's for you, showed up and actually knew everything about me and had 10 great questions. And I was so knocked out and impressed by her. I said, hey, Stephanie, if you ever have an interview, you come to my house and I will prep you for that interview. Wow. She did. But that that's that's the difference. Pretend it's a job interview. Give it everything you've got because one conversation becomes a lifelong partnership or friendship or mentorship. So I'm so glad you asked me that question. Absolutely. <laughs> and gosh, now you're making me think maybe we should dig into this a little bit more because yeah. so you said they should obviously research you. Yes. Whether it's yes. watching a TED Talk that you've yep. given or a podcast I wish I've given a TED Talk. Right. Yeah. I mean, whatever the it is that they, Absolutely. that they look and they look at your resume. And I would add to that, think about what you want to get out of the interview. So when it's over, what information is it 
that you are trying to get. If this is about, hey, I'd love to know if maybe the communications field is something that I would enjoy. Exactly. Your questions that you pose to Bronwyn should be about getting a sense from her what she's done in those different right. jobs. What were the parts right. she liked? What were the parts that sucked? That's it. And and the thing to remember, if, if somebody is advanced enough in their career that they warrant you interviewing them for information, the most precious resource they have is time. For me, my life is scheduled to the second, as I'm sure yours is, because we have kids and we have jobs and we all the things. If I feel like my time is well used because you've come with an intention, you've come with good questions and you've come to listen, I will gladly give you my time. But man, if you're not ready, I am so mad. Talk about triggers. That's my trigger. <laughs> I feel like my time isn't being used well. I freak out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now let's get into the big kahuna, the yes. real job interview. Mm, I want to start answering that question by telling you my biggest train wreck interview. <laughs> so okay. I mean, hold on to your hats. Okay, I am. So I think it was, this was, I mean, you're, you're just going to die. I think it was maybe July or maybe it was August of the year 2001. And if you go back in, in your time machine, you will recognize that the economy was already kind of slowing down. In fact, it was in Silicon Valley, it was already very much screeching to a halt, but it was pre 9-11, right? And so I was out of work because I'd been offered a relocation package to New York and I didn't want to move to New York. I wanted to stay in San Francisco. But I had had such a run at that point of success with interviewing. I was like, oh my God, I am a star. I got this. And I got an interview that summer. Wait for it. Pre-IPO Google. Oh my God. Uh-huh. And with a gentleman who is a kind of famous guy now, right? And Google back then, the Googleplex was like a teeny little rundown, garbage looking, you know, tracked Silicon Valley office space. This, you know, maybe they had 100 people. Who knows how many people then? I can't remember. Anyway, I get this interview and it was a public relations position. And I was like, oh my God, I shred a PR. I'm so good at this. I've never not gotten the job. And I walk in thinking I am hot shit. You know what I mean? I sit down and they he proceeds to ask me really good questions. Questions that if I had been humble, I would have researched what analysts cover us. What uh, what did they say about us that's good? What do they say we need to work on? Who are our friends in the press? Who tends to pick on us in the press? These are idiot prep questions that I should have done. Idiot. Baseline. Baseline PR interviewed prep questions. Didn't do them. And I'm sitting in the interview looking at this man, realizing my mistake and just being like, holy cannoli, you are blowing, blowing this interview. At a certain point, I, I, you know, I just had to like take a deep breath, give it my best shot. And I walked out of there and I thought that will never, ever happen to me again, ever. And, you know, it all worked out. Everything happens for a reason. But to me, the great thing you can do to prepare for an interview is sit down and go, what are the dummy questions that any person in my field should know the answer to? Who is the competition for this company? You know, what are the, what are the most recent things that have been written about this company that are positive? What are the negatives? There's some questions that, you know, are just like, duh, right? Start there. Then ask, what questions am I afraid they're going to ask me? Figure out what your answers are. Work with somebody. Does this sound okay the way I answer this? Or do I sound like I'm tat? Like, give me feedback. Give me feedback. Like, gotcha questions, right? What are the questions I hope to God they ask me that I love answering? Practice those out loud. The best thing you can do is prep for a job interview almost the way executives need to prep for a press interview. Really think through how you want to answer. Don't just think about it. Get in front of the mirror in front of somebody you trust and practice out loud. I worked with an executive. This was probably 10 years ago. And he was interviewing for a CEO job. And I asked him such a basic question because he had a, he had a gap in his resume because he took some time off. And it was such a basic question. The most obvious question he would get, what's this gap? What have you been doing? And Andrea, he was a wreck. He sounded really? crazy when he answered that question. And the only reason he did, because we were practicing, was because in his mind, he had never said it out loud. And as he started talking, he started hearing, oh my God, this sounds crazy. And then he got crazier. So I said, listen, this is why we prep. That's a crazy answer. Let's go back, tell me the truth, and let's make sure that it's a truth that resonates out and not just in. And he got the job. But if he hadn't practiced that question, he would have been like Marco Rubio on TV that was like guzzling water on camera. 
<laughs> so that is so, so, so important. You know, I used to tell like, when you're young, you just think you're invincible, especially if you've had a, a good run of interviews in the past. You've got to earn your stripes. Every interview you do, make every interview count as if it's the most important interview in your life and you will be rewarded for it. Fantastic. What about body language? Oh, I'm. This is so huge. In fact, it's it's even bigger than body language. It's an energy conversation. I know that sounds very California, but no, I love that. I am all about energy, my friend. Because you can feel it. We announce ourselves before we open our mouths, right? We walk into a room and people feel us first. And if you are, and here's where the energy game begins. It begins in the mind, right? So if I'm in the waiting room and my heart is pounding, if you can hear me tapping on my chest, my heart is pounding and I'm in the waiting room and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm up for this. Did I prep enough? Da, 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 da. My body starts to curve inward. I'm like a little rabbit about to be chased by you know, the fox and it curves my shoulders. My knees get weak. My everything physiologically starts to line up for either flight fight or freeze. And none of those gestures, none of those body language signs are good. They're all bad. They all signal to the person you're about to meet with, I'm scared, I'm incompetent, and I really don't want to be here. So it begins in the mind. When you're in the lobby about to go into the interview, what you want to do is breathe. Start calming that heart rate down. Breathe into your belly button. In through the nose, out through the mouth. You can look up various breathing techniques, any of them, as long as they're deep belly breaths, any of them will help you. So you want to start by just regulating your breath, go deep in your breath. And once your heart starts to calm down, then you can work with your mental messages and say, this is going to be great. Even if I don't get the job, my only job right now is to make a connection and to show them what I'm capable of and ask smart questions. The rest is up to them. The rest I don't have control over, but I can control my breath, my heart rate, and the way I walk in the room. And you just sit with that and your shoulders roll back. You may even need to like manufacture a pose of confidence, like Wonder Woman pose where you put your hands on your hips, right? you know, whatever you need to do, but change your physiology. Because what it does is it tells your body, it's okay. Everything's fine. And your body goes, oh, okay, thank God. Okay. You can have access to your brain now. We're not in fight, flight, or freeze. Go ahead and think. And that way, when you walk into the room, you shake hands, you make eye contact, and that person feels that you are radiating confidence and just the desire to connect. And that is what sets you up for a gorgeous interview. Definitely. And the only thing I would add to that is that as part of that preparation to put out positive energy in your best self, smile. As smile, be warm. That's right. They're looking at you in a slightly different way than somebody who wants to date you. In that, they're (laughs) thinking, can I kind of live with this person in my space? Are they going to put out positive juju into the, you know, the office cooler atmosphere or are they going to be like energy vampires? That's right. God, that is so spot on. It's absolutely spot on. And also, can this person, this young person, I'm presuming for this category of people, can this person handle hierarchy? Can this person handle communicating, listening well and contributing when she or he is low on the totem pole? Because if you can't contribute when you're surrounded by people that are smarter or wiser or have fancier titles than you, it's probably not going to work out. But if you show up and you, it's like, yes, of course I can contribute. Just because you're a senior vice president and I'm an intern doesn't mean I'm less human. It just means I treat you with the respect that you deserve because you have a higher title than me. But I don't lose my mind and become powered by it, right? I had to learn that the hard way in my line of work because I, you know, sometimes I work with like climate change scientists or, you know, people that are really powerful and well-known in their world. And, and I, you know, whenever that temptation to get intimidated rares up, I think I can't help this person if I'm intimidated. I've got to get to equality with them so that I can be of service. And that's ultimately what you are being hired for, to be of service, to help solve problems and to add to the energy, as you say. So bringing that with you is so powerful. A hundred percent. Okay, Bronwyn, for those who are already in the working world, Mm. how can they improve what you like to call their executive presence? And what the heck does that mean? 
Yes. Executive presence is, I mean, we could replace the word shine. Same thing. Are you able to communicate with a way that keeps people's attention? And are you able to communicate from your highest self? And for the people that are already well on their way in their career and entrenched, this might surprise you, but the most important change they can make is to have some sort of grounding ritual or practice. Because here's the truth. The best communicators are people that know how to stand in a room, confront conflict, to not take things personally, to be able to access creativity, enthusiasm, and be able to communicate wholeheartedly when the pressure is high. That is what careers take you to. Ever more pressure, ever more visibility, ever more opportunity. And the more that temperature goes up and the pressure gets ratcheted up, you have to be cool and have access to your highest self, which means days can't just happen to you. There has to be some grounding practice. Mine is in the morning, but not everybody is geared that way. You can do evening, but that reminds you who you are and why you came. And it allows you to return. It's like having home, a spiritual psychological center that you can come to when the storm is raging, right? It's the eye of the storm. Do you have a practice that lets you be the eye of the storm? And for me, in fact, my recent podcast with Ben Kiker, we talked all about having a true north, right? And if you haven't done that work of what are you here to do, to learn, to be, to become, do it. My true north is I literally think I am here on this planet to bring light to bring joy and to change the way we communicate. And when things start getting really high pressure, I'm intimidated or scared or an opportunity seems like it's above my level. I just go back to that. You know what? I came here to bring light and joy and change the way we communicate. And if if my fidelity is to that mission, the rest takes care of itself. So that to me is the most important thing for people really already entrenched in their careers. Well, Let me just say, Bronwyn, you are doing what you were born to do. Anytime you start feeling a little intimidated, you just give me a call. Oh my God. Because you are it. You really are it. Let me just tell you, I you are, as I said in the introduction, magic. Magic. You've got the gift. So I know that you have worked with a lot of intimidating people, hundreds Mm. of people to get them ready for whether it's, Mm. you know, any of the variety of TED Talks or CEOs or other C-suite executives. What do you think are the key ingredients necessary to communicate in a way that keeps people off their phones and onto the edge of their seats? You've already mentioned the grounding practice. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think there's a couple of components. The greatest communicators are always really good storytellers. They're always really good storytellers. And there's a reason for that. I mean, you can, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that we've been telling stories since as long as we've had language as a species. There is something about us that is wired for story. And part of the challenges when you're in a career, when you're in the workplace, we tend to be in our heads all the time and we think, okay, what I need is fact and data and and I need charts and graphs and things like that. Those are absolutely critical. No question. They are part of making a compelling argument. But what neuroscience has found is that we make decisions first emotionally. And then our minds scurry to find the facts and the data and the figures to support what we've already decided emotionally. And the best way to move people emotionally, story. And the best storytellers, some of them are just born. You know, there's people that are just so good at storytelling. It's like they were born with it, which oftentimes they were. But for the rest of us unlucky people, we have to learn to become good consumers of stories. So I always tell people when you, you know, pick up the newspaper, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, look at how they're covering a really complicated topic like Brexit. That's a really complicated economic story. And watch how they, in the first paragraph, do what needs to be done to get your attention, state what's at stake, so that you read further into the article to figure out what the nuances are in the rest of the the argument. But they have to win you in that first paragraph. So start reading and consuming stories more critically, right? TED Talks, the Moth Podcast, so many different opportunities to to just get better at at consuming stories. But most importantly, and this is like life-changing, you've got to become a good story collector. And when you're a story collector, you and I literally have an Excel spreadsheet 
Corey Rosen is what turned me on to keep, you know, keeping my own Excel spreadsheet because I know clients do this all the time. The minute I think I, something happens, I'm like, oh, that's a good story. I put it in my Excel spreadsheet because I have a podcast just like you and I have to come up with openers and closers and midpoints and stories to support what I'm trying to teach. And sometimes I just run out. I'm like, I don't know what story to tell. So I go to my spreadsheet. And I look at, okay, what story am I going to use here? Or what happened to me this week? Or it's like you train your brain to no longer see life as a series of inconveniences or highs and lows, but to see your life as fodder or stories right? Or if you're in the workplace, what you're doing when you go have meeting with your clients or when you go out and talk to partners or whatever it is you're doing in your job, you're listening to see, huh, she's telling me a story that is a pain point story. I'm going to fold that in and use it to present internally at my company to make sure they build in this feature that is that will meet the needs of this pain point my client just told me about, right? It's a, it's a mind training exercise. So the great communicators know how to collect, gather, so that when the time comes to shine, they've got a battery of stories to pull from. They know that if they want to drive a point home or make a good argument, there's got to be story in there. There's got to be story in there. This is a slight twist on storytelling that that I think I gathered it from Mary Carr, who's an incredible memoirist. I believe it's in her book about memoir writing. But she says, you know, good stories are they're sensory. You know, you want the audience to feel like they're there. And I felt like in that ham sandwich story, I was trying to make it sensory, like crossing the street, passing the health food store, get peering above, you know, because I was so short looking yes. up at the butcher. And so that's that's also part of good storytelling is how do you create that sense of human sensory dimension to the story? Yes. Well, you absolutely nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. It was so fun. So before... I have you flashback to when you were in college. I want to just tap into the Bronwyn expertise here to help our young listeners who struggle with, and if they aren't now, trust me, you will be, the imposter syndrome. Because God knows, right, Bronwyn, we have both (sighs) grappled with it. And And I continue to grapple. Absolutely. And what really surprised me was that apparently the imposter syndrome, which was, I guess, first coined in 1978, Hmm? but that it begins in moments of success. I know. Isn't that astonishing? Yeah. Isn't that astonishing? It was. Like to me, it would be, it's counterintuitive. I was kind of like WTF. Like why, why would it happen then and not when you're really in the earliest stages of your career? Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and the research, you know, the research in the 70s really was only of high achieving women. And in the 70s, you know, high achieving women were a much smaller proportion of the the population because, I mean, Jesus, it was like, what's 78? We finally were able to get our credit cards in our own name and not our father or brother. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It was the 70s. Thank you, Gloria Steinem. I mean, this research was done when women were just finally starting to have some stakes in the game, right? But what blew me away is that the way the research, because I went back to the original research, it said something like it is an inability to process and experience your own success. And the way that manifests is that you feel like everything you do, you're having to earn your stripes again for the very first time, right? You feel like you're free falling for the first time. You feel like you don't have that battery of expertise and experience that you've built. And the way it surfaces is the is the voice in the mind that says, I don't belong here. And the minute they figure out who I really am, I'm going to get kicked out of the planet. You know what I mean? I'm going to get kicked off the planet. But it's not just women. I mean, I, there's a great interview I had with Dan Benayim, who was a speechwriter for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And I said, oh, my God, when you went to the White House, when you first were a speechwriter at the White House, were you like, I don't belong here? Or were you like, hell yeah, I finally got here. And he's like, oh, my God, nobody nobody walks into the white well except maybe the maybe the guy now that's in power yeah exactly but he said nobody walks in thinking oh yes i belong here everybody spends their first 48 hours going oh my god they're gonna find out that i don't belong they're gonna ask me to leave but he says then you don't have time to think that way anymore because it's so hyperspeed so imposter syndrome i think is part of the human experience it's part of the human condition maybe it's part of you know our neanderthal ancestors that had to outrun saber-toothed who the hell knows right what i do know is that 
It requires diligence as we're coming up in our career and certainly as we continue to ascend up into the right, God willing, that when we have success, we celebrate it. We celebrate it because the brain wants to dismiss success as fluke, as luck, as being at the right place at the right time. And while any of those things may be true, those aren't helpful necessarily. What's helpful is saying, you know what made that so good? I prepared. I knew how to get in flow. I knew how to bring my best self. I did a tough dive. I was brave and I crushed it. And you know what? And my my ritual is to take myself to Starbucks and get something really sugary because I don't usually do that. And I get my nails done and I drink that sugary drink and I'm like, yeah, girl, nailed it. <laughs> so like tomorrow, tomorrow's a perfect example. I have this all day workshop I do to onboard sales and, and software engineers at this very large tech company in the Valley. And I do it probably two or three times a year, but it's it's a long day. It's I'm literally in front of the room from nine to five and it's about 80 people. And we, it's intense, intense communication teaching, right? And then after that, I have to go to band practice because I'm a singer in a cover band. So I, it's going to be a really long day. And I can already feel the voice in my head saying, you know, just because you've done this a bunch of times, this is the one time you're going to screw up. This is when they're going to figure out that you don't belong. And I have to say, okay, you know what? Listen, honey, listen, inner voice. We have shown up to this gig three times a year and crushed it. And we will do the same thing again tomorrow. And we will prepare as if it's the first time, but we will know that we will crush it. So thank you next. Please sit down. But that, fuck that off, is right? Fuck off, right? Or as Beyonce says, stop interrupting my grind. <laughs> so you know, but this is like when you're playing big, when you're having the guts to go out and shine and put a stake in the ground and stand by it and rock it, expect the imposter syndrome. Prepare by celebrating and knitting your success into your bones because you will question yourself. That sh what is it? The itty bitty shitty committee in the mind will attack you. Right. So I never heard of that one. And something that Ben made me do because this plagues me. I mean, it's. I, I really hope it's part of the human experience. Otherwise, like I'm psychologically broken because it's, it's something I cope with all the time. But Ben's like, Bronwyn, you need a nice things document. Put it where you can see it every day. Remember that you're so good at what you do and let that fuel you. Don't be fueled by fear and terror that you're not enough. Be fueled by gratitude that you've made a difference. Like how incredible is that advice from Ben? Amazing. And by the way, I also had the pleasure of interviewing Ben on Time for Coffee, and I'll put a link so to his good. episode in which he talks about addiction and substance abuse, some pretty heavy subjects, and he absolutely just soars. He's incredible. Yes, he is. So shout out to Ben Kiker. <laughs> Bronwyn, I yeah. want a flashback to when okay. you were a young Java junkie at San Francisco State. Boy, wasn't I. I was such a Java junkie at San Francisco State. Oh, my God. And <laughs> I was a Java junkie, too. You majored in Spanish. Did I you did. have any idea what you were going to do with your degree when you left? No, I got to tell you, I my college experience was incredibly scattered, unfocused, and insane. The fact that I did four years of focused education is kind of shocking to me because pre-therapy Bronwyn was a very different human being. Very, very different, very distracted. I was all over the place. And I, my major, I think literally, I'm not kidding, Andrea, I think my major changed four times. It was like environmental science because I loved that. Then it became education. I mean, I was all over the place. And by the time, because I did my first two years at Northern Arizona University, and then I transferred to San Francisco State on a whim. Basically, I was like, eh, I think I want to go to San Francisco. And I crashed all my classes the day of. I did, it's not like I applied. I mean, I was a wild woman. And I showed up at San Francisco State and I thought, you know what? You know what? Here's how we're going to do this. <laughs> I'm just going to do the thing that is easiest for me. And languages for me is like falling off a log. Mm. I can pick up a language fast. I love languages. In fact, when I get burned out on whatever I'm doing and I'm 89 years old, I'm just going to go back and like study romance languages. I love language. And so, isn't it? It's, oh God, it's like, it's the best. So I, I love the Spanish department at San Francisco State, such talented professors. And what it did was in my head back then, I had this conversation with myself and I said, I think a good thing for Bronwyn is to focus on what brings me joy. And that was like a tiny flicker of wisdom in an otherwise chaotic mind. The one thing I knew for sure about myself and what motivates me the best to be the, to perform the best is joy. And Spanish brought me joy. And that is what led me to my internship, which led me to my career. But do I, does my job now have anything to do with Spanish? 
Not at all. Not yet. Not yet. That's true. That's true. But I use it constantly because I live in California. So there's opportunities for Spanish all the time. Amazing. So you've alluded to intuition. Yes. And maybe another way of putting it is listening to your gut. Mm. I don't know if that resonates with you. It does. It absolutely does. And and this is, you know, for the folks listening to this who are in college, you know, it it's such a time of growth and and a, such a time of chaos too for a lot of us. Not everybody, but some of us, it's a very chaotic time. And what's crazy is at the same time as you're trying to make moves that line you up for the career you think you might want because in college we're just we're just guessing. We don't know, you know? In the midst of all that, you're also falling in love and you're meeting friends and there's like it's such a an emotional roller coaster and i remember my first big sort of gut punch of intuition i was dating this guy and things were going great and and i could feel myself sort of starting to kind of lean back on my intensity in my studies i was like ah i'll just probably marry this guy and who cares and i was standing in the shower having that thought and instantly my gut said are you fucking kidding me no, you're not taking the foot off. Girl, wash your hair and get back to work. You are not that kind of girl. And I remember getting out of the shower and getting, and I was taking a, a really hard translation course with Professor Williams, who is still at San Francisco State. I remember diving back in and wrestling with this phrase that I needed to translate. And and it was that, it was like there was this future version of me living in my gut that was like, are you, get, what? get your act together, go back out and keep working. And that was the first one. And not long after I was walking on campus at San Francisco State and that same, she was kind of a bitch. She was like, get your ass into the college, into the uh, career center right now. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. And I walked into the career center and there was this like dusty blue binder. I'm not even kidding. It was when internships were sent via fax. Remember those days? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Them's the olden days. I mean, this binder was three inches thick and I just happened to flip it open and page through and there was a yellow fax with the San Francisco mayor's office logo on it. And it looked ancient. But I said, what the hell? I'm just going to I'm just going to call him because that same future self that was kicking my ass was like, call the mayor's office. So I called the mayor's office. and They're like, God, this is crazy. But this is our last day of interviewing. If you can get down here today, come on down. Literally. I zoomed downtown, interviewed, and I got the gig. And I was up against people from Stanford and Cal and people that really had their act together. But I did a good job in that interview. I showed up and I shined. And I ended up being, it was in the crossover. I did a year with Frank Jordan and about a year with Willie Brown, which was a really interesting time to be at the mayor's office. And those connections, those relationships, those skills that I developed in that section of my life are what set me up for the career I have now. Had I not listened to that voice that said, get back to work or make a right and go into that career center and See that ugly, hideous binder with that yellow piece of paper? Make that phone call. If I hadn't been listening to that, I don't know where I would be. It's so crazy when you think about those moments. And for your listeners who are in college, your life is full of those moments because this is such a rich time in your life. So make sure you have just enough silence in your day to hear it. Because, Andrew, when you and I were in college, there was no iPhone. I was walking around campus in silence because I didn't have an I didn't even have a Walkman. <laughs> it was like walking around. You were just alone with your thoughts. And if there's one thing I can say, some way to boost your intuition, if you're listening to this and you're in college, or even if you're well into your career, we have to carve out time for being alone with our thoughts, as terrifying as they can be sometimes. Solitude is critical to being able to work with intuition. And I think it's a dying art to know how to be alone. And it's critical. It's critical. Oh, Bronwyn, that was so powerful. I'm so glad. It's true. It is true. And I think what you said about the way that that first job that you just trusted your gut to Mm -hmm. apply for, that first internship, ended up affecting the rest of your life. Absolutely. It's such a powerful message because rather than our young listeners getting super stressed about what am I going to do with the rest of my life, it would be so much healthier for you to save yourself all that angst 
And after you've quieted your mind and listened to your heart and your gut about what you enjoy and what comes easily to you, sort of where your interests are, yep. think about it as this is a journey. And this mm-hmm. first step that you take, it really doesn't matter where you start. It's about the people that you meet. It's about the experiences you have and That's the it. skills that you develop, the good and bad experiences that you have. And That's exactly right. Okay, so just take a deep breath and worry about that first step. And I don't want yeah. to even say worry. Yeah. Think just about take that it. first yeah. step. And, and I do feel like, and actually, I really hesitate to say this because I think this generation of college students is already so overwhelmed. So I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm speaking from my, you know, my college self. But I went through a season of my life where I said yes to everything. If there was an opportunity that I thought I could learn from, I said yes. I just figured it out and I made it work. Was I exhausted and was I living on caffeine? Yeah, but I accumulated an incredible amount of hours of expertise doing random stuff because I knew I was gathering, you know, it's like Malcolm Gladwell, those 10,000 hours. I said yes to everything. The Democrats are on campus. Do you want to register people to vote? Yes. The mayor's office, do you want to work this other event with the, you know, Filipino American Association for their national day? Yes. I was so profoundly busy my last two years of college because I instinctively knew this is how you outmaneuver the competition. I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't go to Cal, but you know what I can do? Make connections and gather experiences. So for that season, I said yes. Now I'm in a season of no. Now I have to meet, right? (laughs) I have to say no more than I say yes. Otherwise I'll literally explode. So, but I really, I think sometimes in this culture of Netflix and binge, whatever, those hours are precious and they're where you can make gains and outmaneuver people who by all means have more privilege than you or that have more money or more status. You outmaneuver those people by saying yes to opportunities and making contacts with people that can help you in the future. That is how I did it. Way to go. Oh my (laughs) God. That is such an awesome example. So Bronwyn, I have two final time for coffee questions. These are questions I try to ask all my guests. And this one is about if you would share a time in your professional life when you really struggled and oh my God, I mean- We would need hours for me to go through all of the times that I've struggled and all the times I fell down and had to get back up. But the most important thing is how you persevered and maybe a lesson that you learned in the process. God, there's so many, there's so many that I can think of, but I think I'll do the one that might resonate with a younger audience. I remember when 9-11 happened, which is interesting because this is picking up on a thread from earlier, but when 9-11 happened, the world caved, you know, financial markets caved, the job market evaporated. And I went from having a six-figure salary and spending money like it was water because it was the go-go.com days. We were all making so much money and it seemed like it was never going to end. And so when I chose not to move to New York, I had a job lined up that evaporated while I was on vacation. I came back and suddenly 9-11 happened. In fact, I was I was in Wall Street talking with JP Morgan about joining a startup literally a week before 9-11 happened. And that oh. job obviously disappeared. The world came to a halt and I was caught flat-footed, no savings to speak of, no job, and a very nice apartment in San Francisco and a very nice lifestyle to support. It was terrifying. And I had to it was probably one of the best things that happened because two things happened. One, I had to get real about money. And anybody who's in college or even beyond, it is one of the great lessons in life to learn how to be humble and strategic about your money. I had to learn that lesson. But the other lesson I learned was to get scrappy about opportunities. If it was an opportunity to write, an opportunity to do anything even remotely in the constellation of where I wanted to be, which was public relations technology, I took the job. I had no ego. I just took the job. I took consulting gigs that were quote unquote beneath me. I did anything I could just to stay afloat. And in the meantime, I filled my hours working on my craft, which 
at that time was writing. I wanted to get really good at writing. So I would hopefully I'd have like a consulting gig I could do. I had a meeting. I was going to volunteer, you know, with this nonprofit. I was just filling my schedule with things that might connect me with humans that could hire me for something. But when I had downtime, I was at cafes filling journals. I was studying, you know, I did Natalie Goldberg's Writing Down the Bones. I did Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. I got really serious about becoming a good storyteller, a good writer. And I don't think I'm that great of a writer, but I'm a hell of a lot better than I would have been had I not used that time wisely. So for me, those low, low, low moments in your career where your ego is so kicked around that it really can't affect you because you're like, well, I can't keep telling myself the story that I'm such hot shit because guess what? I ain't. So what do I have left? I have skill. How do I make them better? And that that tendency that I built from 2001 on, that tendency to focus on shoring up my skills, getting my craft high and tight, that practice saved me. Because, you know, fast forward, maybe it was 15 years after that, or maybe it was 10 years after that, I started getting really burnt out on PR because I ended up rallying out of 2001 and starting my own PR practice. And that became a wonderful thing that ran its course. But I got burnt out on it. I was over it. I didn't want to do PR anymore. And so I went through this period where I'm like, well, what, what is the skill? What is the craft that wants to be worked on next? And that craft was communication coaching and speech coaching. So I volunteered with every TEDx event I could find, TEDx Youth, TEDx Berkeley, TEDx, it, like I, everything I could. I built up my thousands of hours of expertise so that by the time my one of my biggest client engagements came, which was Stanford University, not only was I ready, I was one of the best in the field. So those down moments where you're just getting the shit beat out of you, recognize them for what they are. They quiet your ego long enough so you can focus on your craft, get clear about what the craft is and get busy. Mm. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I mean, look, I, and I have one final question. I, I could just riff on this for hours. I know. I wish I could I, ask you a million questions. Oh my God. Honestly, no, no, no. I was just going to say to share because I had to learn when I was a correspondent at CNN and just very quickly when I came back from being a foreign correspondent and I came back because the president of CNN told me he wanted me to be the State Department correspondent. So I was like, damn, you know, I am hot shit and brought me back. And, you know, I was he building me up. You're going to be a star. You're going to be a star. And I was so out of my depth because I didn't know anything about pretty much anything outside of Asia, because that's where I had been living. And Amazing. the shit was hitting the fan everywhere around the world, almost outside of Asia. And so I was flailing. And there was a point when my contract came up for review and the bureau chief from CNN brought me in to have a breakfast with me. And I thought it was going to be to have a very friendly breakfast to talk about my next contract. And basically what he said is, you know, Andrea, we're kind of like on the fence here. We're not really ready to sign you for another number of years. So we're only going to give you six months and we're going to see, we're going to see how you do because honestly, you don't have context. And I'm like, what the fuck is context? Oh my God. So what I had to do over the next six months, Bronwyn, was start educating myself. And I ordered every book I could find. I went into the bookstore about every part of the world where the shit was hitting the fan and just read and read and read and went out to have coffees with different people to learn from them. And when the six months was up, I got extended for another four years. But but what I had to learn is I had to learn how to eat crow, to swallow my pride, Mm-hmm. And to get busy, as you would right. say, get busy right. doing the hard work. That's exactly right. So final time for coffee question. Mm. If you could go back to San Francisco State and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now as a sage 45-year-old woman, what advice would you give yourself? God, that is such a beautiful question. I've never thought about that. The advice I would give myself is I would say, 
Bronwyn, you're actually an introvert. And I know that you think all of this extroversion, all of this noise and all of this busy and all of these parties and people and, and, and socializing you think you want is actually draining you and making you ineffective and, and crazy. So honey, cut out half of what you're doing socially and give it to your studies and watch yourself bloom. I mean, that is, that is what I learned in therapy in my 20s was I'm actually an introvert. I need to be alone a lot. And because I never was alone, I was self-soothing with all of these unhealthy things that was actually causing tremendous chaos and psychic pain in my life. And that is the, that is the, oh, like I want to go back and just squeeze her because she's really trying hard, but she doesn't know how to recharge. And that is the advice I would give her. What a beautiful question that is. What a beautiful answer. Bronwyn, I want to thank you so sincerely for sharing your energy, your magic, your wisdom with me and the Time for Coffee community. Bronwyn's amazing podcast is 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. She is your own personal coach on demand. And oh, I just want to wish pleasure. you thank so you. much continued success. Thank you. This has been so much fun. And I I just, I cannot thank you enough. This, you have had such interesting people on this show and you give such a lifeline to people at such critical junctures in their careers. What a fantastic offering you're making to the world. So thank you for letting me join in in the fun. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee. 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.